0: Standing for our scripture reading, 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 8a. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal and whom are ashamed when they flee in the battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants. You have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines. Because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that the commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise and go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were told, are all told, Behold, the king is setting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord indeed. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the word of the Lord. We're thankful, Father, that You've revealed Yourself to us in Your Word. We're thankful, our Father, because of Your Word, we can have eternal life. Because of Your Word, our Father, we can become fully mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, now as Your Word goes forth, we pray that not only will we hear it, but we might do it. The Scripture tells us that, that we shouldn't be just hearers of the word but doers of the word and father through your spirit we pray our father that you would change us and give us that desire to not only hear your word but live it out in our daily lives so we might make a difference in the area in which you've called us and for that we'll give you the thanks and praise because we ask it all in Jesus glorious name amen Amen. Amen. well this morning we follow David's return to Jerusalem after the victory over Absalom and his rebellion, we still consider the promise of our king to come again as well, right? And so here we are, All right, We're looking at these situations from the Lord Jesus as the great king, and David is not so much. Now in John 14, 3, he says that he will come again, and when he comes again, everything will be right. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture today, I want to remind you again and again that indeed everything isn't the way it's supposed to be. Now, it's also important to understand that the promise of Jesus has already been substantially but not finally fulfilled when he promised that he would come again. Because Jesus did come again to his disciples after his resurrection, correct? They met him, they saw him, he showed him the prince and his nails. This return of the king, all right, just as he promised. However, there were more to the promise to come. Listen to what else Jesus says in John 14. I'm going to read starting in verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that he hears is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I was still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this is the return of the King to us who know Christ as our Savior. And every true believer understands that God has left us the Holy Spirit of God to lead, guide, and direct us. And so there's that return. But listen, there's more. The return of our King and all of His glory is still a future event. It will be an open and undeniable manifestation of something that is already true. Something that has already happened. Now, God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 25, For He must reign until He has put all the enemies under His feet so what is that telling us? It's telling us that Jesus continues to reign even now. But there's going to be a day when everything changes, right? In fact, on that day, every knee will bow and every mouth will confess the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11. So today, we are going to see the return of King David in our text. And listen, in important ways, it's a disappointment. It's not what we're going to see in the future. In fact, the return of Jesus is going to be glorious. So with that said, let's begin to look at 2 Samuel chapter 19. And here's how I'd like to divide our time up together. First of all, I want to share with you how Joab rebukes David. Secondly, I want to show you true repentance. And then lastly... The return of the king. So let's go back to our text and begin to read in verses 1 through 4. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for, all, for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people still in who are ashamed when they flee in the battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Now folks, what should have been a day of celebration for David's army at Mahonahim became a confused time of embarrassment and shame as the people stole back into the city as if they had been humiliated by a defeat. Now, can you imagine what's going through the mind of those soldiers? They've gone out and they've risked life and limb for their king, King David. They're excited about what God has done. They're back in Mahaham, and normally what would happen would be a great victory, a great party. But instead, the people have stolen into the city, feeling like, hey, look, something is not right here. David was obsessed with the death of his son, Absalom. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son. And he cried with a loud voice. Let me ask you this question. What was wrong with David? That's a good question, isn't it? Let me share with you, I think, what was wrong with David. David was not looking at things from God's perspective. And oftentimes when we get into that time of depression or not feeling the way we think we should feel or things aren't going the way we hoped they would go, what happens is is we begin to think about our three favorite people, right? Me, myself, and I. Alright, and we're not beginning to look at it from God's perspective. But then when all of a sudden we stop and think, well, wait a minute, let's look at it from God's perspective, everything begins to change, doesn't it? And isn't that what we do in counseling all the time? We bring the people from where they're at to show God's perspective, and when they see a sovereign God is in control of what seems to be an out-of-control situation, everything then begins to look the way it's supposed to. And that's the problem we have here with David. Now listen, David was God's anointed king. David was hurting, but Israel still needed a leader, no matter how he felt. And folks, that's one of the prices that leaders must pay. So David the father forgot that he was David... The king. Now, Joab understood this, and as his way was, he took it upon himself to deal with it, right? So he confronted the king with some sharp words. Let's continue to read. Verse 5 and 6. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your (coughs) your concubines because you love those who hate you and those who love you. For you have made it clear today that the commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now, folks, can it get any harsher than this? I mean, you talk about putting it on the line and saying what has to be said, right? Don't you care about us and all that we've done for you? You would rather have us dead as long as you would have your son Absalom alive. This ain't right, you see. Next, Joab tells the king what he must do. Look at verse 7. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Now, let me ask you, what do you think of Joab's forceful speech? Was Joab just once again looking out for his own future? I mean, he kind of liked being the head hog in charge, right? (laughs) And we found out this guy's not much of a guy sometimes, right? And wait till next chapter, all right? So was he just looking out for his own self? Or listen, was Joab, what Paul says in Ephesians 4.15... Speaking the truth in love. Folks, we don't like it when somebody comes sometimes and speaks the truth to us in love, do we? Well, boy, after we repent and get things right, we're sure glad they did, aren't you? Glad that way as well. And look, all right, this needed to be said. David was about to lose his kingdom And Joab came, and he did speak the truth to him in love, you see. But I think there's some selfishness in it as well. Listen, it was a little like the death of Jesus. Alright, victory led to mourning, and it was difficult to see how Jesus could really return as king. You remember those two on the road to Emmaus? And they're walking back from Jerusalem to their little town, Cleophas and probably his wife. And they're sad and they're thinking, we thought that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And besides this, this is now the third day since this thing happened. Boy, were they in for a surprise, huh? When they asked Jesus to stay for a little bite to eat, and then their eyes were open and they saw who He was. Very similar situation. Now, from this somber scene in Maham, we are taken back to a situation more widely thought throughout the land. Alright? Go with me if you would now. You know what? I'm sorry, I lost my spot. To um, uh, verse nine and ten. It says, And the people were arguing throughout the tribe of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom he was anointed over us, is dead. And the battle now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing these people back? Now as a consequence of Absalom's death, they had fled. And the death of the pretender made them put their forces and focus back on the legitimate king, the one they had rejected. And let's face it, Israel was in a dilemma, right? Because look, all right, especially Judah, they had made Absalom king. And they made a covenant with Absalom. And now what are they going to do? Now Absalom is dead and David is back. Are they going to bring him back quickly, you see? And what's interesting here is, is that the Hebrew word for argument can suggest a legal dispute. And so legally, what were they going to do? All right, Was the covenant they made with David prior to Absalom still in force? Or did they make another covenant? And they were trying to make this decision. So when David got wind of this settlement, he fired the message to the elders of Judah his own tribe via his priestly friend. Now, now listen to what he says, starting in verse 11. And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abathar, the priest say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to the house when the word of Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and flesh, why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Am- Amamesha, Are you not my bone and flesh? God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in this place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return both you and your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and bring the king over to The Jordan. Now, first, I want you to notice how David appeals to their pride. Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel had come to the king? I mean, after all, Judah is David's home, right? Those are his people. Why in the world don't you bring us home? Everybody else wants to bring me home. Why don't you? Now listen, all right? This is good, all right? The second thing he does is he appeals to their relationship. You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then don't you bring me back at last? And then lastly, he appeals to their anxiety. And he says, and say to Amasa... Are you not my bone and my flesh? Go do to me more also if you are commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. There he appeals to their anxiety. Now, why does he appoint Amasa to become the new commander in chief? All right. Because he wants to make them feel like, hey, I'm back and I want you to be a part of this program, you see. Now, what about Joab? Why let him go? Well, there's lots of reasons, right? One of the reasons is what? He disobeyed a command from the king, didn't he? Do not kill my son, bring him to me. Who was it that had him killed? And then all the other problems that he had, he thought, look, all right, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here, all right? I'm going to make my nephew, Amasa, the new commander, and I'm going to get rid of Joab, and this is going to make Judah happy, and everyone's going to come back, and things are going to be the way they're supposed to be. Now, Folks, I don't think this scene was joyful. However, the people had their king again and they began to come back. And, and things were beginning to look like they were supposed to look, you see. Now, not only were the men of Judah at the Jordan to welcome David, but he was now met by others as well. In fact, the narrator has introduced us to several individuals during David's exodus from Jerusalem. Now he tells us about a corresponding set of encounters on his return. And he introduces us to three cameos of David's subject. Shimei, Methibosheth and Barsalea. Alright? Well, let's start with Shimei. Look with me, if you would, at verse 16. It says, And Shimei, the son of Gerar, the Benjamite from Beharim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Zebah, the servant of the house of Saul, with his fifteen sons and his twenty servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So the first to meet King David was Shimei, who had boldly shouted violent curses to David as he passed Beharem in 16 verses 5 through 8. But amazingly, it seems like Shimei has had a change of heart. He is no longer mad at the king. In fact, now he's happy he's on his way back in. And how happy was he? Listen, all right. One thousand men from Benjamin came with him. What an impressive display of a change of heart, huh? David's surprising return had overturned his world. And now he is anxious to ensure his security in the renewed kingdom of David. Now, folks, it's tempting to regard Shimei's repentance with a little cynicism, right? However, listen, let's not forget that David himself had been a recipient of God's mercy when he too confessed his sin. I find this to be so interesting. Verse 19, And and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day The first of all the house of Joseph to come down to meet my Lord, the king. I have sinned against you, king. Now, we teach that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And what had David done not too long ago? When confronted by Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And David did what? David received mercy, did he not? And now here Shimei, who deserves to die, is standing before David, and he's doing what? He's confessing his sin. And so how is David going to treat him? Is he going to have the same mercy on Shimei that God had on him? Or is he going to take vengeance? Let me remind you of a passage of Scripture in Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Wow. Now, have you ever heard anybody say, you know what, I'm going to be willing to forgive them as soon as I see repentance? How much repentance can you see seven times in a day? Jesus is saying, look, just like I'm willing to forgive you, I want you to be willing to forgive others as well. And if they say they sin, then take it to heart and forgive them. Wow. Now next, notice how Abishai was not inclined to be moved by Shimei's plea for mercy. Notice with me, starting in verse 21. And Abishai the son of Zeruah answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Interesting, the Hebrew word for adversary is the word that we use for Satan. The loud, bad guys. Get behind me, Satan. Now let me ask this question. Do you think that the mercy David shows is purely pragmatic? or was it real mercy well let me share with you something as a teenager when I realized I was in sin and deserved damnation and judgment and I came to Christ and repented and believed you know what He showed mercy, didn't He? And isn't that great that when we come to Christ in repentance, He indeed will show mercy? Listen, if you're here without Christ this morning, He's good enough to say that the work on the cross is sufficient, listen to me, for all sin. Now, Verse 23 says, And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave his oath. Now, I'm sure you noticed that Shimei had been accompanied by Sheba or Siba. However, it was Siba's master, the grandson of Saul, who approaches David and is mentioned next, right? Look at the if you would, starting at verse 24. And Meshibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had taken, he had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes, from the day the king departed until the king came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mashibasheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you, for all my father's house were but men doomed by, to death before the Lord my king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I than to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Siba shall divide the land. And Mehibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come back safely. You know, David recalling Siba's assertion that Meshibath had stayed in Jerusalem because he hoped that Absalom's revolt would bring the kingdom back to him, David gets right to it and asks Meshibath directly, why had you not gone with me? Right? And Meshibath came to the king confident that the king would discern between right and wrong. And what does he say? The king is like an angel of God. And so Meshivatheth comes and he gladly is willing to submit to David's will. And then what Meshivatheth tells him is, is look, I've already been a recipient of your grace. I could have died because I was of the wrong family. But instead, you brought me into the king. (laughs) And I've been sitting at your table living with you. Your grace is sufficient. I love you. I don't want to leave you, you see. And Meshivetheth was lame, and his servants had given him the shaft. Yet his feet and his whiskers and his smelly clothes testified of his loyalty to the true king, right? In fact, king, it's been so bad on me that after you left, I haven't taken a bath once since. I'm sure David would have replied, yes, I know. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I can't wait till you do. Well, listen. Jesus' words came to mind about a woman who had poured her expensive ointment out on him. Remember he was in Simon's home just before he was to die, and she took that expensive ointment and poured it upon him? And in Mark chapter 14 and verse 8, Jesus said, She has done what she can. Now, not long ago I was reading a story about a missionary by the name of Dan McClure. And in it was a story of about a young man by the name of Orop, a boy who had lived near the Aqaba in Sudan in a mission station. <coughs> And he tells the story about this young man and how he loved to go to the school that they had provided in the mission station for him. But the problem with this young man was he didn't catch on too quickly. In fact, he couldn't get his ABCs down. He couldn't write his name in the right order. And it didn't take long for them to realize that, you know what, they probably need to give that seat to somebody else. And so the missionary, Dan McClure, says, look, all right, we're going to have to put somebody else in the school. Folks, this young man was devastated. You know why? Because what he liked most about school was hearing the Bible story. So after he was put out of the school, he would come to the school every day and he would sit at the window. And he would listen to the Bible stories. And then what he would do was is he'd gather around some younger, smaller boys and he'd begin to tell them the stories he heard. But the problem was is he got them all mixed up and he was confusing the boys. And the missionary, Dan McClure, said, listen, you can't tell the Bible stories no more. Now, you could imagine he was devastated. And Dan McClure was saying, what am I going to do with this young lad? He's got such a love for the Lord. And then he finally remembered. He said, wait a minute. He says, listen, Ora, oh, right. When I go to the villages around us, could you be the one who would carry God's Word for me? And he said, oh man, I would love to. And every day he was about to go into another village, Orop would be there before the sun came up waiting for Dan McClure to take God's Word into the village and hear the Bible story. Well, Dan McClure tells the story that one day, Orop, was near a bunch of small boys who were playing by the river. And a crocodile grabbed one of the lung boys and started taking them in. And all the other young boys ran. But old Rob went into there and fought the croc. And he was able to get the lung boy released. But sadly, the croc got him. And all that was left was one leg and an arm. And that's what they used to bury. Now a couple of days after the funeral, his mother came to the missionary and said, Listen, my son told me that I was not afraid to die. Because when I was about to die, Jesus would take me by the hand and bring me home. And it was his testimony to this young girl that brought her to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He did what he could. And, folks, this was Mathibosheth. His loyalty was not driven by survival or greed, he did what he could. Because he loved the king. Well, I hope that's what I can do as well. Do what I can. Because I love the king. And then our last fellow we meet is Barzilia, who we met before, right? He's the elderly and wealthy Gilead farmer who was a godsend when David and his men were in desperate need. Now, Brasilia comes down from Roglin to bid the returning David farewell. And folks, listen, this was not a small thing for a man of his age. Look with me at verse 31. Now, Brasilia the Gilead had come down from Rogan, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzilia was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim. For he was a wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillia, Come over with me and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. Barzillia said to the king, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord the King? Your servant will go a little over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant Chimham, let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered Chimham, go over with me and I will do for him whatever seems good to you and all that you desire for me I will do to you. Then all the people went over the Jordan and the king went over and the king kissed Barzillia and blessed him and he returned to his home. And the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham went on him with him And all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. Isn't it interesting that Barzillia refused to go? Barzillia did not need to be repaid. His speech to the king is a model of contentment with the lot that he had been given. Just happy to know and have a relationship with the king faithfulness to the king is all that mattered to him. Just happy and excited about the lot that he had he didn't need anymore. Is that where we're at or do we just think that these things all out there are going to make us happy? Isn't that sad how often we are not content like we should be? Man, make me more like Brazilian, just happy and content with the lot God's given me. How much more do you need if you have Christ in a relationship with Him? He says, Let my son Chimhan enjoy the kindness of the king instead. So now the king was on his way. Now, let's shut this chapter down. Start with me in verse 41. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan? And all David's men with him. And the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative." Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at at the king's expense, or has he given us any gifts? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Take notice, the renewed kingdom of David was fragile, wasn't it? Instead of rejoicing at the victory God had given his people, the tribes were fighting among themselves. Now the men of Israel were the northern tribes, and they were angry because Judah had not waited for them to arrive on the scene to help escort David back home. In fact, they said that Judah had kidnapped the king and ignored and insulted the other ten tribes. But as I thought about this and I read and and, and I was thinking, I was saying to myself, isn't it terrible that not one of those tribes ever stopped and asked Jehovah for directions? They had forgot that Gilgal was a place of new beginnings, didn't they? You know what happened at Gilgal? That's where Joshua brought the people of Israel into the promised land. That's where they were recircumcised. And here they are fighting. So let me just close this morning with this word all right, and this reminder. The return of King David wasn't so good, was it? But listen. The return of King Jesus is going to be one awesome opportunity. Amen. It's going to be glorious. And as I read through this and I think about David's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom, I say to my heart, let me learn from these guys. And let me be ready for King Jesus. And so when he comes, all right, I'll be able to be a part of that kingdom for all eternity. Telling you, finishing up this two Samuel is difficult, but some wonderful truths in there for us to learn. Is help me just to be content, knowing I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you: Do you know Him? Has there been a time in your life where you repented and put your faith and trust in Him and received the forgiveness He's only He and only, only He can give? Then go to Him. All that the Father giveth to me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will no wise cast out. But then if you're here and you know the Lord and you love Him, are you looking at your life through His perspective or your own? Boy, it's easy to get there, isn't it? Thinking that the world revolves around us, but, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't. And when we get to that place where we recognize the world revolves around Jesus, we're in a way better place. What's God want us to do? What's He want for us? He wants us to drink out of our saucers, doesn't He? Our cup runneth over pray together. Father, thank you for this time together now. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for these two different kingdoms and how, Father, we look forward to the coming of the kingdom of our Savior the Lord Jesus. Father, one of these days and one of these days soon the trials and the tribulations and the suffering and and and, and all that goes along with it will be over. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But Father, until that day comes, help us to occupy, help us to be busy about what you've called us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name.